point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called. Called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom. A kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Oh, well, good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series, For the Kingdom. I love this series, and it's been an amazing, amazing time of all that we're learning, the way we're growing together. Now, we are in the middle of 50 days of prayer and praying for God to do what only God can do, and we only have seven days left, so I just want to encourage you, jump in and pray hard, because it's been amazing to watch as God's moving in the hearts and lives of His people. And so many people have been taking that next step and being baptized in Christ and giving their hearts and lives to Christ. We've, we've seen so many people joining the church and people committing to do missions. You guys just being so generous and, and giving, share your shelf and giving food for food pantries around Nashville and just filling up food pantries for people to have food over the holidays. And I love it. I just love seeing God work. And what I love too is seeing our, our children, our students, the adults all joining together to pray and to serve and to give. And, and you know, uh, if you have kids back in kids world, uh, you know, they've been having these little quarter things where they've been catching these quarters right and turning it in for the kingdom. And, and, and I love that. And one dad said to me, he said, you know, this thing's getting a little out of hand because now my kids are stealing all my quarters, right? And that's my donut money, you know? And so and now I have to use a credit card and my wife finds out. So he's like, yeah, I got to stop this. So, but you know, it's fun because everybody's kind of into it. And we're like, yes, God, what do you want to do? God, how can we further your kingdom? And it's amazing when a group of people come together for one common cause and one common mission. And you said, like in our country, right, in World War II, and everybody just rallied together and said, we're going to stop evil, and everybody had a job to do, and everybody had a part to play, and everybody came together in that. Or you see it in sports, where it's like the World Series, or the Stanley Cup, and the whole team comes together, and everybody sacrifices, and everybody pours in, and everybody's together. Well, we are the people of God. Right, And this is our day, and this is our time. And we are saying, hey, we have a calling that's above all this else because it's a spiritual battle, and we are locking arms, and we're serving together. And we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I love that. I love that. I love seeing God work, and I love seeing his church mobilized. God loves his church. And so if you're new here to Rolling Hills, what a great time to jump in. I mean, I couldn't think of a better time to come and be a part of what God's doing. If you've been on the sidelines, kind of, you know, checking things out, man, this is your time to jump, and this is the time to engage, you know. I love that old saying, the best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago. Second best time, today. Today. God, I'm going to live for your kingdom today. And that's what we're doing as a church, a people of God, reaching out, growing up, 
giving all. And I love that. Hey, in our, in our series, we've been walking with the children of God back in the Old Testament. And we've been seeing as they said, God, we want to live our lives for you. And it's the most exciting time in the Old Testament, the most exciting time for the children of God back then, when they all came together. And you may remember, right, if you go back, they were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them. Then nobody got out of slavery back then, right? If your nation was conquered, you, you were a slave, you were done. I mean, over. But, but they called out for deliverance, and God sent a man named Moses, and they walked out of Egypt, a million people. And they come through the desert, and God sustains a million people in a desert, right? In the wilderness. I mean, God gives them food to eat. He gives them water to drink. I mean, he just takes care of them, and he says, you are my people. And they build this tabernacle you know, for the glory of God in the middle of their community to worship God. And as they come into the promised land, God gives them houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant. He moves the people out that were there. You know, Abraham was there, and they went down to Egypt. And so he gives them the land back, and he says, okay, here's all this is yours. And one night, David the king, he's walking around on his palace. And he's like, wait a minute, why am I living in a palace? And all my people have these nice houses and chariots. And... And yet God's dwelling in a tent. Hey, guys, let's do something together. Let's do something together to further God's kingdom, to tell all the other nations this is what we're for, to tell our children and our grandchildren this is what we're for. Let's build a temple in the center of Jerusalem, in the center of our community, where people can come and worship for generations, and they can experience the love of God. And God's like, David, I love your heart, man. That's awesome. But, but David, you're not the one to build it. You fought too many wars, right? You've shed too much blood. I mean, you know, you've had all these wars, and now Israel's at a place of prominence. But listen, your son Solomon will be the one to build it. Your son Solomon will be a man of peace. And, and, and I've got to tell you guys, understanding the temple, the tabernacle, and all that back in the Old Testament, it, it has huge implications. And that's why this series is so deep, and it's so rich, and it's so important, because it sets the foundation for God's heartbeat for his people, that God wants a relationship with people. And then when he has that relationship, God wants us to be involved in what he's doing. God is sovereign. And yet we grow spiritually when we get involved. And God invites us into that. And so David, at the end of 1 Chronicles, dies. He goes, you know, on. And now, all of a sudden, Solomon, his son, is on the throne. And Solomon's scared to death. <laughs> but he comes and he commits himself to the Lord. God, okay, I'm leading a million-plus people, God. What do I do? And he prays, and he prays for wisdom, and God gives him wisdom. And then he steps up and goes, all right, I got the blessing of God. I got the blessing of my dad. I've got the people behind me. I've got the resources that were given. Let's go. Let's get to work. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's build this temple. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Old Testament, right? Back there in that section, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that whole section right back there. Uh, but man, it's just so good. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles left to give you. They're back in the back, or we'll put the scripture on the screen, or maybe you have a mobile device. If you're taking notes today, page 36 in your journey guide. I've loved these journey guides. You know, we have our community group material there, and then sermon notes are there. But pick up here, Second Chronicles chapter 3, look at verse 1. Then King Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the place provided by David. Okay, let me stop right there just for a second. 
this threshing floor, right, on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is this mountain right there in the center of Jerusalem. And, and, and David says, hey, we're going to build a temple. We're going to build it there. Because on Mount Moriah was the place, if you go back all the way to Genesis, when Abraham, you remember this? Abraham has son Isaac. And God says, hey, do you trust me, Abraham, with everything in your life? And, and Abraham's like, yes. And he's like, okay, well, offer your son to me. Abraham's like, whoa. But Abraham goes, and he goes to Mount Moriah, and he's like, okay, God, here's my son. And God's like, no, 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 I just want to test your heart. I want to see that you fully love me, you fully trust me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket, and, and right there, Abraham sacrifices this ram. In the name of the place, they called it, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And so Abraham and then Isaac, his son. And so we are seeing the generations come here. And David said, that's the place. That's the place we're going to build the temple. And he goes over to Aruna the Jebusite. And Aruna says, hey, you can have it. You're the king, man. Take it. And David says, no, I'm not going to offer to God something that costs me nothing. I'm not going to offer to God something that costs me nothing. No, here you go. And he paid for it. He paid a premium for it. I, I got to tell you, this place right now, even today is the epicenter of our world. Uh, Mount Moriah is where the temple was built, and it stood for about a thousand years. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans, right? After Jesus came, right? So then 600 years later, Islam comes in, and they build the Dome of the Rock on Mount Moriah. So if you go to Israel today, and I hope everybody in here gets a chance to go at some point, but you'll see there's Islamic mosque right there, the Dome of the Rock. And they will say, right, when we look at Jews and Christians go, Abraham and Isaac and trace the promise, the Messiah through there, they go, no, it was Abraham and Ishmael. It, all coming down to this one spot, this one place, Mount Moriah. Here we are 3,000 years later, and it's the epicenter right now of our world. You can see what's going on there. And then verse 2, it says, He began building on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. And the foundation Solomon laid for the building of the temple of God was 60 cubits long and 20 cubits wide, using the cubit as the old standard. The portico at the front of the temple was 20 cubits long across and the width of the building at 20 cubits high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. He paneled the main hall with juniper and covered it with fine gold and decorated it with palm tree and and chain designs. He adorned the temple with precious stones, and the gold he used was the gold of Parvium. He overlaid the ceiling beams and the door frames and the walls and the doors of the temple with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls. He built the most holy place, its length corresponding to the width of the temple, 20 cubits long and 20 cubits wide. He overlaid the inside with 600 talents of fine gold. Verse 9, the gold nails... I mean, they even had gold nails, okay? The gold nails weighed 50 shekels. He also overlaid the upper parts with gold. I mean, he wasn't doing this thing halfway, right? He's like, we're going all in. If we're doing this thing for God, we're going we're gonna to do it right. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. In the rest of chapter 3, he's laying out the whole outside of the temple and what it would look like. Now, let me ask you, where did they get the floor plan for how the temple would look? It was the tabernacle. It was the tabernacle. So if you turn back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 25, right? Exodus chapter 25. So the children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. They come out. They're in the wilderness, in the desert. And God says, hey, I've given you all this. And now I want you to build this tabernacle. And it says in chapter 25, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. 
Now remember there's an offering, right? There's a tithe. We give our first 10% back to God. Simple math, right? It's just like, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. But every now and then, there's an offering, which is over and above, which we go, okay, God, I get to give back. I get to do a project for you. He says, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. Now, how do these slaves even have any resources? Well, God prompted the heart of the Egyptians after these 10 plagues that when the slaves left, they gave them all this stuff. I mean, they just gave it. So God's like, I've given it all to you, so just have a chance to give it back to me. You're to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Now look at verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And from Exodus 25 to Exodus 40, God lays out the entire pattern. He says, this is how I want it to be built. So when you come to 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and Solomon starts to build it, he says, let's go back to how God said to build the tabernacle. This is exactly the outer courts, the inner courts, the most holy place, all of it. And even in Exodus 25 through 40, it says about the furnishings. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Solomon also made all the furnishings that were in God's temple, the golden altar, the tables on which was the bread of the presence, the lampstands of pure gold with their lamps to burn in front of the inner sanctuary as prescribed, the gold floral work and the lamps and tongs, they were solid gold, the pure gold wick trimmers, sprinkling bowls, dishes and censers and the gold doors of the temple and the inner doors of the most holy place and the doors of the main hall. Chapter 5, verse 1. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Now, I want you to see some pictures, right? I want you to just see some pictures of what this temple would have looked like. So we're talking massive. We're talking big. Uh, this is a replica of Solomon's temple. You can see the outer courts where people come. There's a model there in Jerusalem even today uh, outside this museum. And you could have seen it was built on a mountain, on Mount Moriah. And you can see how big it is. You can see all the people there. And you can see what it would have looked like back in this day, the porticos and the outsides and the outer courts, and then all the furnishings that they would have put into this place. But everything, everything, get this, everything in the Old Testament and everything in the temple and everything in the tabernacle was pointing to the Messiah. God laid everything out in Exodus 25 through 40, and Solomon as he builds in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 4, everything he's laying out is pointing to the coming Messiah because God's heartbeat was always reconciliation between God and man. You had a holy God, man sinned, broke that relationship, but God said, I want to be among my people. And one day the Messiah will come, and he will tear down that veil that separates the most holy place, and so making a way for us to have a relationship with God. And if you look at all these furnishings, right, the altar that was there, every time people would come to worship, they would have to bring an animal that would be sacrificed because they were sinful, you know, and the wages of sin is death. And so they would, they would bring a, a goat, they would bring a lamb, they would bring a pigeon, they would bring something to offer on that altar. Aren't you glad today that we don't walk in here with a bunch of animals and go, okay, you know, we want to worship today. I mean, praise God for Jesus, the Messiah, that when Jesus came, he is the ultimate sacrifice. He died for our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. 
when they made the table of the bread of the presence, what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life, right? I will always be with you when you have a relationship with me. I mean, when they made these lampstands, what was that pointing to? Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And so when they build this temple in 950 B.C., and it stands for 350 years, it's destroyed for about 70 years, 586, by the Babylonians because the people were unfaithful to God. But God said, hey, I will restore you. I'll restore a remnant, and it's rebuilt in 516 B.C., that 70-year period. And then it stands all the way to 70 A.D., almost 1,000 years. Jesus... (laughs) was dedicated at this temple. Messiah, everything leading up to Jesus. This is all the old times we're pointing right here to Jesus. Now I have to tell you today, guys, we are the body of Christ. We are the church. And Jesus, after he died on the cross and paid a way for us to have eternal life, he established the church. And the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And everything in the church should be pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus alone is the one who can change a heart. Jesus alone is the one who brings hope and life and peace. And sometimes people come to church, and man, there's great things about fellowship, and there's wonderful things that we get to do together. But all of us, all of us, our life is found in Christ. That's where life change happens. And in your life and in my life, man, our lives ought to be pointing to Jesus. Look at what God's doing in my heart. Look at what God's doing in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. But God is molding me and shaping me. And God is at work in my life. God's at work in my home. God's at work in my marriage. God's at work with my family. God's at work all around me, my community. I'm living my life for Jesus. So as a people of God today, God's called us to be for the kingdom. God's called us to be for the kingdom. And in our series, right, we're continuing to build this church one life at a time, one person at a time, seeing life change happen. In our series, we're talking about this whole For the Kingdom initiative and talking about investing in preschool and children and students right here, your kids, our kids, just like the people did back then. We want to build a place that will outlast us. We want to build a place that says to our kids, this is what we're for. This is where we're investing We want to build a a place in Nolensville, in the center of the community, or in Nashville, in the center of the community. We want adult space here as we disciple one another and help one another grow to be godly in our lives and to grow deeper in our faith. We want to invest in the poorest of the poor in Moldova and transitional living homes with kids that we love. The world would say, you are orphans, and God would say, no, I'm your father, I love you. And we get to be the hands and feet of Christ and to build his church. I want you to hear this morning from Chase Baker, our family pastor, as we talk about student space and children's space and what all that looks like. So Chase, come let us know, man. Uh, It's my my responsibility this morning to kind of cast vision for you. And and also, I want to approach it from a macro view, but also I want to approach it from a micro view. And and what we're talking about as far as the next generation, because one of the things we're for, we're for the next generation. We're for them knowing and following Jesus. And so one of those things is creating a a student ministry space. Um, Right now, they're outgrowing that space. And so, and and the interesting thing about it is when we, uh, whenever I came back, 
about seven and a half years ago, there was no designated space. It was, it was no space designed specifically for student ministry. Now we have the opportunity to do that as this ministry grows. Just a few weeks ago, we had 123 middle schoolers backstage. And every morning, you may be wondering what that noise is. And you're like, why, are, why is there so many kids yelling and shouting? That's because you can't keep middle schoolers quiet, right? So, um, so they're back there. So we're creating a space for them, and, and which will open up some space for our fourth and fifth graders, which incredible, they're growing. And during this hour, there's typically 60 or 70 fourth and fifth graders in this small little space in, in Main Street. So we're opening up opportunities. So let me just tell you where this is going to be. So if you're looking that way to your right, across the hall, there's a big wall that says next steps. On the other side of that, that's where the student ministry space will be. Right now, it's leased, and their lease is up in April, and so we'll get to go into that space, which will leave us this space over here to your left, open up for fourth and fifth grade, just to give you a, a view. So let me just show you a few um, mock-ups. These are possibilities of what this space could look like. And let me just show you this real quick. If we're going to, to right to left, let me just tell you how we process through this, because because I think it's important to know the why. The, the right is, is where I would end up in, in high school, in middle school, right? This is, this is the connection that happens. And here's what we know to be true, that, that whenever you add fun in relationships, it deepens the relationship. Isn't that true? And, and so this is where they're going to invite some friends. And this in the middle, if you take a look, that's where our small group spaces will be. That's where our community connection, that's where relationships will deepen. If you go to the far left, that's where the worship would happen. And ultimately what we want to lead them to do is become worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so, which is pretty cool. And so if I transition, I'll come back to student ministry, transition to kids ministry, which is the fourth and fifth grade space. Again, this is a rendering. This is a possibility where I'm excited about this because what we try to work hard to do is look at those transitional years. So fourth and fifth grade is a transition between that and middle school, right? And so to program specifically for fourth and fifth graders is really important for us. So that's a mock-up of that. Let me just take an aerial view of the student space and go from macro to micro. Because here's the thing, and here's what I want you to understand. These are just spaces until you attach stories to them. Get that for a second. Space is until you attach stories to them. So I look at the far right. I look at where I would be. I think about, let's think about specific names, and these are names of students in our ministry. I think about a Pierce. I think about a Ty. I think about a Sarah and Faith who will use that as a connection point to invite their friends so that they have a, a church experience to possibly be engaged with the gospel of Jesus. I think about that spot right there. I also go to the middle space and think about what happens in that middle space. I think about small groups. I think about small group leaders gathering their students together in this space and praying over them and praying through the difficult times in their teenage years. I think about a Molly, an Emily, a, a Jason, a Darren or Carrie leading their small groups through Bible studies and helping them understand the bigger picture of God's plan for their life and that God has a purpose for their life. I, I specifically think about a sixth, a seventh grade girl who walks into class. She's brand new to the area. She's brand new to Franklin. She's experiencing school for the first time in Franklin. She's experiencing church for the first time in Franklin. And then she sits down with her small group and she's nervous. 
and they find out where she goes to school and it just happens to be there are several other students who go to the same school as her and so they pause for a moment just to write down their class schedules so that, oh, she goes to class here and I go to class here, so we'll just meet in the middle of the day so that you would have a connection point. That's a true story. Or maybe there's a student who comes in with just, they're carrying the weight of the world. They've been, they've been through a crisis. They've been through a difficult circumstance and they're bringing that to their small group leader and their, their group and they spend time praying over. I want, I want you to understand, parents, that, that what... Isn't this comforting to know that you have somebody partnering with you as your child's going through something? Maybe you're not the first choice, but it's good to have another voice that's coaching them along the way, that's saying the same truths that you're saying, but maybe in a different way. That's what I think about. You go to the worship space, I think about two rows up, a couple of seats over, I think about a girl named Claudia who's invited by her friend named Sarah, who's sitting right beside her. And Claudia was kind of foreign to the concept of church like this. And she experienced Jesus for the first time in a real way. She heard the gospel and it changed her life forever. She received Jesus as Lord and Savior of her life because of an invite from Sarah. And now, Claudia, several years later, she is a high school senior, and she spent the next, the, the next what are four years, she's been in her small group, but she's also been pouring back into a sixth-grade class that's now an eighth-grade class and discipling them. That's discipleship. Or I think about a Talisa, who maybe sits four rows up, a couple of seats over. Talisa was invited by her friend, Jesse. And again, she heard the gospel for the first time and believed it. And Jesse baptized her friend. Or maybe I think about an Evan. An Evan who sits near the back, who just last year surrendered his life to full-time vocational ministry, and he's going to be a pastor. He's now at Liberty University. I think about Evan. I also think about a kid by the name of Theno. Theno came during third grade. He actually, his friend Nolan, invited him to come to church with him. Knew nothing about Jesus or faith or, or very little about Jesus. And over the years, Nolan's parents, obviously Nolan couldn't drive Theno to church. So he had to have somebody drive him to church so Nolan's parents would pick him up every Wednesday and every Sunday from home and take him to church and then take him back home years into this. And then the end of his seventh grade year, he asked Jesus to come to be Lord and Savior of his life. But I don't want to necessarily tell you his story. I want Theno to tell you his story. Listen to Theno's story about his spiritual growth. And I'm a junior at Renaissance High School. I live with my grandma and grandpa, and they were, my grandma was Buddhist. And my grandpa, like, he never shared anything about his religion. Like, I thought Jesus was God's brother. It's like, that's how oblivious I was with the Christian faith. there I was doing all these activities and games and uh, kind of like messing around with just other kids that I didn't know and I was like having a blast then that's like what started getting me intrigued in the community that was built there. My friend started inviting me to church after VBS. His whole family could tell 
I really enjoyed it and I was growing. For the first couple months, I came uh, just Wednesdays because it was fun. And then they started inviting me Sundays. After that, I got in the groove and it was like, I was like, I like this, I like doing this, I like the people here, I like visiting all my friends. Like, I didn't have that background of knowing, like, common Bible stories and all that, but like, all my friends here, they were like, you know, they didn't really care about that. They were like, caring about loving and connecting with me, and I was just like, yeah, I've never been a church kid before, and they just wanted to hang out with me. serving the kids because that's where it that's where I started and I was like I want to give back want to uh, invest in the kids that just like I was being invested in and how I was growing seeing kids come up and hug me and like like putting their hands up during worship and um, asking me questions and just telling me about their day it like made me feel like like I'm doing something right here and God's working through them and like working through me and giving me the ability to um, talk to kids and love on kids and um, help them with their spiritual faith. Every Wednesday night, I play for middle school and high school and I lead worship and um, I get to see the impact that I have on other people. I see people singing their heart out. I see people dancing in the back. It's something I get to be a part of directly and it's something that I am good at and it's something that uh, God's calling me to do. The biggest thing that God has taught me is to serve others and to um, be uncomfortable. Like I don't know where to go but God's gonna guide me and that's the one thing is just taking that step. God's like I got you don't worry about it just just keep going. You know what I love about that is, guys, it takes all of us, right? I mean, you know, Nolan invited his friend in third grade to come, and then here's Robert, who plays on our worship team every week. He's probably one of the best guitarists in all of Nashville, but he, he and his wife, they were picking him up every Sunday and every Wednesday, but they bring him to VBS, and you guys are serving at VBS and creating an incredible experience for this kid, and then he comes into student ministry, and, and all of a sudden, he's got small group leaders who are around him, and you, church, are praying, and you, church, are giving, and you, church, are creating spaces for this kid to come to know Jesus, and you think about where he was and where he is today, and man, that is discipleship. That's life transformation, and we are a part of that. That's the church being the church. And you guys, we're a link in the chain. I mean, think about this, right? If you go back and you think about the, the tabernacle and you think about the people of God back then and, and as they, they said, we're for God, we are going to do this. And then you come into the temple and they're saying, yes, we want to do this. The most exciting time in, in the history of the children of God back in the Bible. And then you come into the New Testament, right? And God starts working through church in the community and, and the gospel spreading out and believers locking arms and serving together and pray together. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the apostle Paul is, is taking up an offering. He's taking up an offering to help the church in Jerusalem and he's going around to these other churches and, and he says, as he writes to this church in Corinth, he says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
He goes, I've been over here to these other churches. And I just want you to know about their gra- the grace that God's given them. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He's like, these little churches, man, they didn't have a hold of anything. They didn't have much at all. But I testify, verse 3, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Like, I don't know how they did it. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Paul's like, I wasn't even going to go to these places. I mean, they're so small. They don't have much money. There's a big trial going on. And they're like, no, 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 no. We want to give. We want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of the Lord's service. (laughs) And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Now, I want you to kind of just highlight that in your mind, right? Or if you underline your Bible, underline that. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, you know, there's a great church there in Corinth. You guys are doing great things. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, verse 8, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul says, hey, think about these other churches, right? But think about what Christ has done for you. I mean, Jesus was living in heaven, the throne room of God, and everybody bowing down and worship, and he leaves all that to come to those he created. He came to those, and he was homeless, for 33 years on this earth and he died on a cross so that you and I could excel, that you and I could have riches, you and I could have eternal life with God. Hey, he became poor so that we might become rich. Think about that. And guys, we are a link in that chain. And the tabernacle and the temple and these churches and churches that have gone on before you. And maybe you grew up in a church. Maybe you grew up in a small country church or maybe you grew up in a big city church. But have you ever thought, who are the people who built this church? Who are the people who invested in this? And it's a place where you were baptized or a place where maybe you were married or or a place where you went as your grandparent who walked with the Lord went home to be with Jesus and you celebrated their life and you said, hey, wow, I'm standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before me and now all of a sudden the generations have come to us. And it's our turn and it's our time. And God's calling us to go forward in him. Inside your worship guide, there is a a commitment card. Next Sunday is our commitment Sunday, November 4th. It's also in the back of your journey guide. I'd just love for you to look at this. I'm going to kind of put it up on the screen. But next week, we're going to ask everybody to bring a commitment card. We're going to ask you to give yourself to the Lord first, pray about this. But next Sunday, you got seven days to prepare and pray. And then next Sunday that we come and we have a chance to commit together. And you can see the information at the top, but when we come, we can just say, my total for the kingdom commitment. My offering over and above, right? My tithe, this is an offering that I give. And it's made up of these things, a one-time gift. Maybe it's made up of something you want to do weekly or monthly. I'm going to give 
over and above each month or annually, but I'm going to do this. And maybe it's stock, you know, maybe it's, you know, something else or property or car or something, but I want to give this and here's my total commitment. You know, it was awesome. Uh, last week I was driving my daughter who's a freshman in high school. I was driving her to school and, and Grace just out of the blue says, hey, dad, I think I figured out what I want to do for the kingdom. And I go, okay, what's that? And she said, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, because I want to bring my commitment card on that Sunday, November 4th. And, and she goes, here's what I want to do. I want to give $50 that day. And then I want to give $10 a month. So I want to give $410 to For the Kingdom. And I'm like, okay, you're right. And she goes, yeah, $50 on that one-time gift and then $10 a month for 36 months. And you add that up and it's $410. I was like, good job on the math. Way to go, you know. And I was encouraging her. But I was also like, wow, way to go. I'm glad you get this. I'm glad you're doing this. And she goes, yeah, I get my allowance and I give my tithe. That's what I do. But dad, I want to be a part of this. Dad, that space, I'm going to be in that space. And Mabry's going to be there. And Kate is going to be there. Dad, I want to be a part of this. And I was like, so proud of her. And seeing that, guys, it takes all of us, right? It takes all of us giving that. On page 78 inside your journey guide, there's kind of a little chart, and it just kind of shows you what it would take, because it's, 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 it's not equal gifts, right? We all have different incomes. It's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. It's equal sacrifice. And as you look at this, and you kind of say, okay, you look at that chart, and you go, where do I fall? You know, where am I right now? And you, you look at this and say, maybe I can fall here and I can do this and, and I can give this. But wherever your eyes go, I would love for you to kind of look up and say, God, I can maybe do this, but God, what could you do through me? You know, maybe it's 9,000, maybe it's 50,000 or 60,000, but that's over three years. But God, I want to do this. I want to be a part. It would take 700 commitments. That's, that's all of us. Everybody has a part to play in this you know, we have a big goal. You know, I don't know what's going to come in. I really don't. But I know this, that God can do whatever God can do. And as God's people are generous, I want to tell you, church, I, this is so exciting to me. But as we look at this pattern in First Chronicles, you know, David stepped up and gave. And, and Lisa and I, man, we have given. We want to be the first givers. We want to give sacrificially. We believe in this. And, and then the leaders came along. We've asked our staff. And we've asked some people on our, our church board and our finance team to give early. And I want to just tell you guys, we've had 60 families so far who have given. We have 60 families so far who've made a three-year pledge. And those 60 families have committed to give close to $1.5 million. That's like our church staff, right? That's some of our leadership. But, but, but I'm telling you, we're in this. We're committed. We believe in it because we believe God is building his church. We believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We believe that our world needs Christ. Every generation needs Jesus, and we're linking that chain, and we want to be found faithful. We want to see God do what only God can do in our community and in our country and in our world, and we're investing. And I want to tell you, and just encourage you this, when you and I are generous, I tell you, we're most like God. You can't outgive God. The most famous verse in the entire Bible, for God so loved the world, he, he gave. And he gave his one and only son. For God so loved you, he gave his son. And when you and I are generous, when you and I, we give ourselves to the Lord first, when you and I give, I want to tell you, we're changed. Generosity flows in us. You know what else? Our, our children are changed. 
Because all of a sudden they see their parents sacrificing. They see their parents going, you know what? Hey, we're going to invest here. They see their parents saying, this is what we're for. Our grandchildren are changed. There's people who are changed and we don't even know. There's, there's kids like Theno. that You may not even know, but you've played a part in impacting this kid's life for the glory of God. And there's kids that are changed halfway around the world. You, you know, part of our campaign is going to build two more houses in Moldova. In Moldova, the poorest, smallest country in the former Soviet Union. We have four houses there, guys, that you have invested in. And a few weeks ago, when we had our Justice and Mercy International Gala and Alina, our national director, was here. And she said, Jeff, I got to tell you. She said, five years ago, when I went to talk to the Child Protective Services of Moldova, and to tell them that we were building homes for orphans and we were taking care of like 500 orphans at that time. And she said, the lady across from me looked at me and she said, why do you want to do that? She said, the only thing orphans are good for is to grow up and be beggars and prostitutes. And Alina said, no, 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 no. God has a plan for them. And they have a hope and a future. And we ought to be a part of that. And guys, today we have four houses, 52 beds. We have kids in our transitional program like Ala, who grew up as an orphan. And you see her, and you just go, oh, she's beautiful. She would have been trafficked. I mean, God protected her. And now, you know what? She's in our transitional living home. Then she came into our independent living home. And now she's working for JMI. She's working with us and for us there in Moldova. And she has 160 kids under her care, orphan kids that she goes into that orphanage for. Guys, that's you. That's us together investing. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. These next seven days, I'm going to ask you to do this. Give yourself to the Lord first. God, what do you want from me? And maybe when you do that, when you pray, you pray individually, you pray as a married couple, you pray with your children as a family. I want to tell you, maybe, maybe God will speak to you and he'll say, first of all, it's salvation. <laughs> You've been kind of stiff-arming me, but I'm drawing your heart to me. That's what I've always been about. That's the gospel. I'm drawing you to myself. And maybe, maybe God will say to you, hey, it's salvation. Maybe God will say to you, it's baptism. It's time for you to step over to follow me. Maybe God will say to you, it's time to join the church. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get in the game. And maybe God's going to say to you, it's time to give. It's time to invest. It's time to be generous. And what can God do through all of us together? I mean, you think about it. Jesus took 11 men, his disciples, and he changed the world. What could God do through us? Not just giving out of our excess, but out of our sacrifice. Investing in the things that matter. How many generations will be impacted? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Right where you are today. What's God saying to you? Will you give, your, would you give yourself to the Lord first? Right here in this moment, God, what do you want to do through me? God, everything I have is yours. You've given it to me. You have been so gracious and so generous. And God, thank you. Thank you first and foremost for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the hope I have in you. Maybe this morning it's, God, I'm committing my life to you. I, I want to be all in. I want to live for you. Maybe it's about baptism. Maybe it's about joining the church. Maybe it's about missions, or maybe it's about serving. 
And for all of us, God, what do you want us to give? How do you want us to be involved? And so, Father God, here we are. (laughs) By the grace of Christ, your sons and your daughters, God, we are here right now. And we want to tell the world what we're for. We're for your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, God, over these next seven days, as we pray, as we seek your face, change us. Mold us, shape us. Fill us with love and with grace. And let us be people who are for you. We love you, Jesus. And we dedicate our lives to you. And we dedicate this church to you right now.